All right, well, Jesus said, uh, I'm giving you a new commandment. It's the commandment of love, uh, that you love one another even as I have loved you. And so, um, you know, one thing I like about Jesus is he doesn't set the bar low. He kind of sets it high. <laughs> Dad Hagen used to say, you know, I'd rather shoot for the moon and get halfway there than not even attempt it and, you know, hardly make anything. And so... Um, one thing you have to learn when you're ministering is to not let distractions get the better of you. People want to give you feedback, but you don't always want feedback. <laughs> if it's the audio feedback or video feedback. <laughs> so Jesus said, I'm giving you some new commandment, right? So they're all like they have all of the commandments in mind. Uh, you know, they were Jewish people, and so they were taught from very young children the commandments, not just the Ten Commandments, but there were, I don't remember how many, do you remember how many, Jessica? It was like 101 or, I don't know, over 100 commandments. We just focus on the Ten and talk about the Ten. But Jesus said, okay, listen, I'm giving you a new commandment, and that is that you love one for another. And we know that faith, the Word of God teaches us that faith works by what? Love. So faith works by love. So if your faith is not working, probably the first place that I would look, I know that's the first place Brother Hagin said he would look, and I completely agree, is that you'd look and see, like, am I walking in love? Well, I can tell you from my personal experience, many times, well, when I first look and say, am I walking in love, the answer is a resounding yes, of course. <laughs> of course I am, right? Well, but what is love? And how do you define love? Well, the definition of love is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 is probably the most vivid definition that you could find. And there's so many translations available nowadays. Jeremy might as well get the passion ready. That you could find out, like, there's many definitions for that love, what love is. Um, but faith works by love. Well, I think even with reading those definitions and meditating on those definitions, it's still easy to have the default thinking be that love is something soft and tender. So if I said, you know, well, your faith seems not to be working in an arena, then you say like, well, am I walking in love? Brother Higgins said, that's the first place I would look. The first place I would always look. He said, if I had sickness, the first place I'd look is love. If my faith wasn't working, the first place I'd look is love. Well, if you're, if you're, um, Default, big picture thought is tender, soft, patient, just those type of things. Maybe not even patient, but you just feel like ooey gooey, that type of love. Like, uh, I have little kittens at my house. I'm not going to say I have them. My family has little kittens, and they're at my house. So I have lots of cats right now. And people would say, oh, I love that little kitten. Well, the thought is not really, I want to be patient with that little kitten, although it could, <laughs> could lead to that because it's going to fall a lot and it's going to step in front of you so you can't even step on your back porch and not, not have to, like, you just have to do fancy footwork, right? Uh, but people are going to look at that. Or a little child. Or, you know, like uh, Melody's dad in the hospital. Like, well, I want to show him some love. Well, most people are thinking, I want to be tender with him, express to him that he's valuable to me, all of these type of things. Well, of course, um, that is a 
part of love, but that's not even really described that much in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. So if you're looking and saying, wait a second, I am believing you, Father God, for this thing, but something's not right. So I'm going to look, am I walking in love? And then you look and say, am I tender towards people? Well, yes, I am. Well, you may not be if you just got off of the highway or something like that, or if you just, if you're very frustrated and you know you are, so maybe you would know then like, oh, I've got that. But that's a very limited definition of love. It's just a small sliver of love. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. Um, I don't plan to spend a lot of time on this because I want to go to 1 Peter. But let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, in the Passion Translation, if you'll read it, not too fast. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. Okay, pause for a second. So incredibly patient. Love is patient. It's the Greek word, I think, macrothemia or something like that. It actually sounds like a cancer that they advertise on TV. Uh, but it's not a cancer. <laughs> Love is patient. And uh, I've been meditating on that now for two or three months. And love is patient. Literally, it means, if you look in Vines, I think the first definitions it gives is love is long-tempered. Patience is long-tempered. So what's that? I read that and I thought, long-tempered, that's interesting. Uh, I know what short-tempered is, but I never really thought of long-tempered. So I thought, okay, well, long-tempered must be kind of the opposite of short-tempered. So I don't, like, lose my fuse. It takes a long time before I would blow my stack, right? And I think, oh, okay. Well, uh, that gives a little bit different look to patience uh, rather than I'm just going to be patient with you. Most people are patient with you as long as you're quick. <laughs> Can you be patient? As long as it doesn't take very long. Right? <laughs> so I can be patient in D.C. traffic as long as it at least starts flowing somewhat, right? <laughs> so I'm going to be patient with my wife as long as it doesn't take very long as long as you know men and women are different it's like pastor Dwayne in michigan one of my favorite quotes from him is he said you know after all these years in ministry serving the lord i've the biggest thing i've learned about the lord do you want to know what it is he'd say and then people would say well yeah of course he said the most significant thing i have learned is that god knows more than me so in marriage, one of the most significant things I've learned is that men and women are different. <laughs> and they communicate differently. And it's about the time that you feel like I'm beginning to understand my wife or my husband, if you have a husband, if you're a woman with a husband, then um, surely they will come up with something that just takes the male pattern like that we've figured out and just throws it all in the trash. <laughs> right? So I would be patient with Melody as long as she understands what I'm saying, right? So let me, oh, oh I would be patient with her. That means I just need to explain what I'm saying. So then, therefore, she should right away understand what I'm explaining. And that's called patience. No, that's not called patience. Patience is long-tempered. That means, like, Jesus had the oil of joy above his fellows, King James says. In other words, above anyone else. He was the... He had the most joy of anyone. Well, that means you get in a room, and if there's a lot of people in the room, who has the most joy? Well, we talk about, let's get in the room. Who has the longest temper? It's actually easy to identify who has the shortest temper. 
Like, I'm fed up with this. Let's get going. Right? So, patience. Okay. Go ahead. Um, it refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements, nor inflates its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seeks its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Okay, so let's just take a second before, I'll back up before the quick to take offense and easily irritated. So the other ones kind of really have to do with pride, you could say. Uh, like there's a lot to do with pride. In King James, it says um, love or charity. Literally, it says charity. But and whenever I see charity, you know, I love to substitute it for love. But a word that I found better or a phrase I found better for charity, then it actually makes you like the charity translation is, <clears throat> which is King James, is love in action. Like charity is love doing something. Right. So love in action envies not. Well, to envy someone isn't just to say like, um, man, I really want that cup that Dave has because I don't have any mugs that are that nice. I mean, that is a really, I mean, I'm serious. That is a, a nice looking mug. I like the mug. I'm not trying to make fun of it, but I think that's a cool mug. In fact, maybe we should have anchor mugs that look like that. Okay, so take note of that, Dave. Remind me later. So um, it's not just to say, because this is not saying love is jealous. This is love is not, or not jealous. Love is not envious. So envying is not just saying, ooh, I want what he has. Envy is one of the sickest attributes, character defects that I think exist. Because envy actually does not begrudge the fact that I don't have that. Envy begrudges the very fact that he has it. It has almost nothing to do with me having it. It is, you're not good enough to have that. You shouldn't have that. I despise that you have that. So envy is really nasty. Okay, so love does not envy, uh, or love in action does not envy. Love in action does not vaunt itself, is not puffed up. In other words, it's not putting itself out front and it's not, or above other people, uh, but love is humble. Right. What does that mean? Well, one of the things that that means is when you are acting in love, you're not with a group of people, even like a spiritual pride is, is really bad, but you be with a group of other believers and you say, well, I know more than all of these people. Uh, I, I've, I've got a better relationship with the Lord. My prayer life is more um, rich well, your prayer life may be more rich. You may know more of the Word, but you don't know much about Him because He is love, and love would not permit that attitude or that thought to remain. In other words, thoughts will come and can come. You're in the flesh. So, uh, you know, survival of the fittest. So there's a little bit of competitiveness that may try to come in. But love, the love of God, would not allow that because that's not coming from God. You understand what I'm saying? So in other words, um, pride says, other people need this message, I don't. Uh, pride says, 
um, if people would just look to me, they would have the answer. Because I've already been through that, and I learned how to believe God for that. So if they'll just ask me, well, then they'll be able to have it. That's not Bible. Paul said, I determined among men to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So if you're going to act in love, you know, so what is it? Psalm 18. Psalm verse 18. Let me turn over there just real quick. I'll read you the last part of Psalm 18. Hallelujah. Oh, excuse me, Psalm 19, end of Psalm 19. Verse 12, who can understand his errors? Like, no, that's saying, who can understand his own errors? Not the errors of the Lord, which, which there are none. Or the errors of the devil, which uh, there are plenteous. <laughs> who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. That's really good. In other words... Who can understand his errors? The question is asked like no one on their own or in their own power can understand their own weaknesses and their own errors. Like there's some things that I'm aware of, errors that I'm aware of, or uh, weaknesses, areas of weakness that I know about. But here, David's talking about, I didn't even know this. I didn't understand it. And I, of course, I, that makes me go right back. I don't know if you guys, maybe, does it do the same? Like, who do you think of with David concerning that? I think of Nathan, right? The prophet who came to him. And the only way that David could actually realize the depth of his sin with Bathsheba was when God inspired, gave words to the prophet Nathan to describe was a man with sheep, and then someone comes to steal them, and David's like, where is this man? I'm going after him. And he said, that man is you. So, same man said, here, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Well, I just presumed that that was okay. Like, have you ever done that? You, you get a little too comfortable in the pants that you're wearing at your business if you're not the owner. You can even do it as the owner, actually. Or the pants that you're wearing, you know, at school. Or, you know, in other words, you feel like you have authority to do this and you find out you don't have authority to do that. That's presumption. Like, well, I presumed I could do that because you said, you said I have authority over this area. Well, then pride tries to sleep in. It's not sleep in, but maybe pride does sleep in. <laughs> Slip in and say like, well, you, you, he gave you authority over that area, so I'm sure you'd have, a, it's just almost the same thing. I'm sure you have authority over here, right? 
Well, it's, uh, presumption is, is also very dangerous. Okay. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Look at that. That is, this is a lot of depth in this. I love the Psalms, right? What, what does that say to anybody before I say what it says to me? If it doesn't say anything, that's okay. I mean, it does say something, but if you don't want to share. If you want to keep the deep revelation from the Lord to yourself, <laughs> keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. I'll give you a clue. One thing about the Psalms is, I used to not understand the Psalms when I uh, became filled with the Spirit and started to understand the message of faith. Because I thought, well, this is like, Lord, give me understanding. Like, well, He has given us the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. But the Psalms are actually like a prayer or a statement, and the answer is, like, they're, they're joined. That's why I like the King James, because poetically you can actually hear the joining and they actually go together. So keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. That's a sin of presumption. Let them not have dominion over me. Do you realize, like, if you're in presumption, you are taking a place of dominion that doesn't belong to you, but that very presumption has dominion over you. So this is like, I don't know what this, I'm sure there's some fancy theological uh, term for it. But um, that happens in the Psalms all the time. So if you kind of look at one and you say like, what is that? Or that's not for today. Just read before and after it and see what the connection is. Look to your spirit and all of a sudden you'll be like, oh, that thing is heavy, man. It's got a lot of impact. So keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. I'll tell you, a, a, I never really thought of it as a presumptuous sin, but I guess I could say it was. I don't want to criticize Kenneth Hagin, her pastor. He said, I, I never did. Well, th then what, what do you want me to do? He said, I never did call you to pastor to begin with. He, I said, I thank God that he did permit me. Somebody said, well, you mean he was out of the will of God for 13 years pastoring? No. He said, I was led by the Spirit of the Lord to every church I pastored. But uh, this is a different subject, so I'll just go short on it. But there is a time of preparation that the Lord will take fivefold ministers through, but not just fivefold. There's a time of preparation for every person, but he's, he was a fivefold. And so uh, the Lord had to prepare him because the, the Bible says, don't put a novice in one of those offices because they'll get what? Puffed up with pride. He said, at the beginning when I preached, if I'd have preached for 5,000 people, 10,000 people, he said, I would have gotten puffed up with pride. But the Lord took me through all of these different things and taught me all of this stuff that I couldn't have learned any other way. So then after 15 years, because 13 years pastoring, two years traveling, then the Lord said, now you're entering in the first phase of the ministry that I called you to. He said, what are you talking about? I've been in the ministry for 15 years and I'm just now entering in the first phase. And Jesus said to him, he said, many ministers live and die and never even get into the first phase of the ministry I've called you to. That's why many of them die young. Right. So there, there is a time of preparation. That's why a lot of times people go to Bible school. Kenneth Hagin operating in the office of a prophet. People say they graduate and say, I'm a prophet. He said that's scripturally impossible. Because scripturally speaking, let a man first be tested and tried. You can't be tested and tried just coming out of Bible school. So you're not a prophet. 
You may have the call, and people get confused about this. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. So you may have a call from God, let's just take prophet, to operate in the office of a prophet. But unless you're faithful with the little things or another man's or woman's ministry, you won't be given your own, even though that is the call upon your life and that is the plan for your life and that is the purpose for your life. But you may not ever enter into it, which is kind of what Jesus was telling uh, Brother Hagin, is that many ministers live and die and never even enter into the first phase. Why? Well, because of kind of what we're talking about here. They get puffed up. And so you sense in your spirit, because you're a spirit being, and the Holy Spirit will show you things to come. And so you sense in your spirit, I think I'm called to do that. I'm called to the office of a prophet is the example we're using right now. But that doesn't mean that you go right then and do it. You, you don't presume. Then you ask the Lord, okay, Lord, what's the preparation? What's the timing? What am I to do? And so people, I think many times they will sense the call, the greater call, and they'll think, okay, they set out to do it, and then they, like Brother Hagin would say, fall flat on their face and wonder what in the world happened. Well, what in the world happened is you need some character development because times are going to get tough and temptations are going to get intense. And you're going to fall in that position if you just run out and do it. Right? I mean, that's the, that's the principle. If a novice goes, they will be puffed up with pride. What happens? Well, puffed up with pride is many things. And it's not just, hey, everybody look at me and listen to me. I'm the greatest minister in the example we're talking about right here. You know, that's not just... Pride goes before a fall. So, uh, you know, people that commit adultery get full of pride. That's how they do it. Because that woman or man belongs to someone else. Or if they don't, well, they really belong to the Lord. <laughs> but even if they're not married to somebody else, you belong to somebody else. So what? Well, that's pride. I can have what I want. I'm good enough for this. I'm a, I'm a cut above the rest. I deserve this. You understand? So, like, so pride manifests. Uh, the fall of pride is in many different things. It's not just like everybody look at me, but it is that inward looking to self. So love doesn't have that. Uh, just that example right there, committing adultery. Love wouldn't do that. Love's not looking to gratify self. Same thing like um, being dishonest uh, with your husband or wife or a friend or um, you know, uh, looking at pornography, all those type of things. You're, you're, it's a sin of pride because you're looking to yourself, to gratify yourself. It's all about you. It's nothing about the people that you're exploiting. It's nothing about the people that you are uh, deceiving. It's nothing about the people that you made commitment to. It's all, it's all looking to self, looking to self. That's not love. Love is not in that. Okay. Um, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Don't let them have dominion over me. Then, so those sins of presumption will dominate you. This is, this is why, you know, remember in Romans where it says like, yeah, we, when we're born again, we actually become slaves to righteousness. We were slaves to sin, to serve sin. Well, when you're getting into sin, you think, I can, this is great. I can do whatever I want to do. Right? If I want to, if I want to uh, get drunk, I'm going to get drunk. Because I can do what I want to do. 
Well, then you start drinking, and wine is a mocker. So all of a sudden, you get drunk. Well, you like the feeling of that on your flesh. I guess I don't have been drunk. But they say, like, when you put that, when I have my wisdom teeth taken out, they put that drug into me that that was like being drunk. And I don't know. I didn't like the feeling. But anyhow. So, but you get drunk. And then you get drunk again. And the thing about someone that's an alcoholic is none, no alcoholics are actually alcoholic in their own minds. Pretty much. And even after they've been set free, they're like, no, no, I could have stopped any time. <laughs> uh, because why? It is so deceptive. It deceives you. So you, you kind of get, um, it seems right at the time, and it seems okay. The devil is like a master deceiver. So he masquerades as an angel of light, even himself. But he's going to take, say like that, getting drunk. He's going to deceive like, you know what, this is actually going to make you better. You're going to be better with the Lord because you're going to be able to relax more. You'll be a better father, wife, husband, mother, friend, because you'll be more easygoing. You'll be funny. You'll be this, right? And then you go and you do it. And then, he, then you have like this guilt that comes that you're like, what foolish person am I? What have I done? So the devil's like working both sides. He's such a deceiver. So he, he, he makes things look enticing that are actually very destructive to us. Um, Let them not have dominion over me. Then will, I, then will I be upright and I will be innocent from the great transgression. Or literally in the margin it says, I'll be innocent from many transgressions or many sins. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, verse 14, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Anybody want to comment on that? Well, it's like taking every thought captive. Because let the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. So it's like, you know, the things that you think on and dwell on produce action. Mm -hmm. Which is the is what he was just repenting of, or saying, "Lord, protect me." From mm -hmm. So it's that is that meditation of the, you know, of, uh, in his in his heart, he he wants to make that pure and right. Yeah. Yep. And that's the key: you meditate on things that are pure and holy and just and lovely. Think on these things, Philippians four. Yeah. yeah. Who else? Anybody else? Because in that is the guilt. You find yourself, oh, I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about that. And, uh, that's then you get guilty, and then you're not thinking on the right thing. I think it's interesting too. It says, "Be acceptable in thy sight," and the whole idea of presumption is that the thing is acceptable in your sight. Mm -hmm. you're <laughs> operating out of your flesh, you're not operating out of yeah. the spirit's sight. Is saying, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the first things I noticed there today when I, when I read that is similar. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In other words, he sees your thoughts and they can be, if they can be acceptable, then they can be unacceptable. So any thought is not okay. Of course, we would say like, you might, you might go and say like, it's wrong to fantasize you know, about certain things. 
but not just fantasy thoughts. The meditations, like what you're chewing on, can be acceptable or unacceptable in the sight of God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So this is, again, it's a psalm. So how he's, he's praying it, but he also answers it. So he answers it at the end. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So if you look to the Lord as your strength and you meditate that he is your strength and your redeemer, he has uh, redeemed your evil thoughts. He has redeemed you, right? So if that is the meditation of your heart, then the meditation of your heart, because you're meditating that, is not going to be the evil thoughts. Also, if that's the meditation of your heart, your heart has the strength to not have those thoughts. Remember what Paul said, casting down what? And what? Vain imagination. Say it louder so we can hear it on the recording. <laughs> casting down what? Vain imagination yeah. and every thought that exalts itself above him. Above. So listen to this. What's a thought? It's a meditation, but it's also knowing something or knowledge of something. So casting down vain imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In other words, every thought, you could say, that exalts itself against knowing God. See, I love Ephesians chapter 1, prayer. Uh, was it start verse 17? Uh, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. that you may be filled with the knowledge of Him. Margin of King James actually says uh, to acknowledge Him. You study it out, it actually means like intimately knowing Him. So against the those thoughts that exalt themselves against knowing God. So all these thoughts come, you're not going to know God. And even right here, uh, Psalm 19, uh, 19, the end right there, is talking about uh, these presumptuous sins, but let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So, the Lord being your strength and your Redeemer is a knowledge of Him. So, when we're talking about this knowledge, it's like an intimate knowledge, a, 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 um, a uh, vulnerable closeness. And so, you find like, you can know in your head that He's your strength and He's your Redeemer, but it won't do you any good. That's not called faith. He's actually talking about the meditation of your heart because it's with your heart that you believe. And so if you know Him intimately as your strength and intimately as your Redeemer, right? So these thoughts try to exalt themselves against knowing God intimately, who He really is, uh, what he really is, that he is love. And you see like this is a tactic of the enemy uh, in the world. And I got a 
a fire lit under my butt this last week about this because it is amazing how deceived people are because they get offended and because they feel like, you know, uh, maybe a believer they feel like is the epitome of a representation of Christ. Well, that's what we are supposed to be. We should all endeavor to allow Christ to live so big in us that we're not seen, but he is. But pride does the opposite. It's like, you know, I am the favorite of the Lord. Well, you are the favorite of the Lord, but it's more like which emphasis you put on the wrong syllable. Is that how you say it? Like, I am the favorite of the Lord. <laughs> Rather than I am the favored of the Lord. Right? He has favored me. And so people get offended at the Lord because of the actions of other believers or because of their own actions that have taken them out from the blessing because they're not acting in line with the word. They're acting in line with the flesh. And then, you know, if you don't uh, walk by the Spirit, if you fulfill the lust of the flesh, you will surely die or death will begin. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's your physical flesh, whether it's uh, the knowledge of God, you'll have, you'll have a separation that is started. Right? They call sip sickness incipient death. Incipient is just a really big word that means death has begun and if it does not stop, like with a cold, you will die from a cold. Because that's incipient death. Your body is not designed for a cold. So don't accept it, please. Right? Because you have no business with one. So <clears throat> many people walk away from the Lord because they believe a lie. Because the deception of the enemy. Because they feel like, well, this person, uh, you know, was a Christian or is a Christian, and they said this, that, or whatever, and, you know, I can't believe God would treat me that way, or God doesn't love me, or this or that, or whatever, and then they, they just that, they believe that one lie, or that one person acted incorrectly, maybe legitimately incorrectly, or they themselves uh, were so lustful to fulfill the lusts of their flesh that they wanted to be offended. They wanted an excuse, like, okay, if, if a Christian does that, well, then they're all hypocrites, and I don't want to be one anyhow, and I can't stand with being people like that, so I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. It's just an excuse. <clears throat> they have never really been intimately acquainted with the love of God, or if they have been, uh, they have not recently been in fellowship with Him because they let that come in. And so um, the love of God goes beyond all of the actions that someone would do. In other words, love is patient. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to love you until you do something I don't like. That's not love is patient. I'm going to love you as long as you do things that are, are right. This is why the world doesn't understand the love of God, particularly Muslims, because they don't know love at all. They pretty much know hate, uh, because uh, Islam doesn't know love because I guess it's pretty much the opposite of Christianity you know who God is love and so um, even uh, Muslim people that receive Christ and are born again 
many times struggle with receiving the fullness of the love of God. Well, how, how are you going to like um, let the love of God dominate you? Well, you have to feed the love nature that is on the inside of you on the Word of God, especially concerning love. In other words, you, we're reading out oh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, or we'll get back there in just a second. And so, but if you, the love of God's been shed abroad in you, and God is love, and He's on the inside of you, that nature, we, we, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, or zoe, which is the life and nature of God, and that you might have it more abundantly. <clears throat> so if you're born again, whether you feel like it or not, we're not uh, living by what we feel or see, like uh, Abraham said, we're living by what we believe. So whether you feel like it or not, if you are born again, you have the love nature of God on the inside of you. And the reason that it's not um, more evident to you or to others is because you're not feeding that love nature on the Word of God. Faith works by love. So Mark eleven twenty five says, you know, eleven twenty three twenty two, have faith in God. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes, not thinks, but believes, not hopes, but believes those things that he says will come to pass. He'll have whatever he says. Well, how can you believe those things that you say will come to pass? By having faith in God. How do you have faith in God? Well, you have faith in God, but you turn away from your own stuff, your own self-confidence, worry, and what if it doesn't work? What about this? What about that? And you just rely on the Word. You turn to Christ, who is the Word, and Him only. So you believe. You don't hope. You don't think. You don't wish for. You believe that those things that you say come to pass. The only way I know for me to believe that those things that I say come to pass is if those things that I say are what He said. Because I know he doesn't say he watches over Tim's word to perform it. He doesn't say he watches over a pastor's word to perform it. He says, I watch over my word to perform it. So that's why I think Jesus said one of the reasons, have faith in God. Lay hold on God's faithfulness. Lay hold on who God is and what God said. And then you just say to this mountain, because what are you saying from? Where, where is the source of your speech? The source of your speech is your total reliance upon God and the source of your speech in total reliance upon God has rejected and turned away from all of the things that you have to offer and that you bring in yourself or that the world says, do it this way. This is the way to, to acclaim. This is the way to glory. This is the way to money. This is the way to peace, which they don't even know peace. And, but you turn away from all that. That is the act of faith. So that when you have whatever you say, you'll know you have what you say when you know what you're saying is what he's saying. And you have that affirmation on the inside, which is called the inward witness from God himself. Yes, my daughter. Yes, my son. That's right. Like, can I get an amen? You got an amen on the inside. Right? Amen. What's that? What's that? There's a, there's a scripture like that. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ, right? Yes and amen. Well, in Christ, what does that mean? 
Well, in union with Christ, in your connection with Christ. In other words, if you're doing this in Christ, you're going to have a yes, amen. Yes, that's right. Well, would you got a yes, that's right. If you say, I'm going to speak to this mountain of cancer and I'm going to curse it and I'm going to command it to go because that's what Jesus conquered. And so I'm going to speak to that. Man, as soon as you say that, you get a, if it's from the Holy Ghost, you got a yes and amen. And then you can say, so let it be written, so let it be spoken, it is done. Right? In other words, you have positive, definite, solid ground to stand on. You're not a wishing and a hoping. You are knowing. Somebody from the outside be like, you think that'll work? No, I don't think it will work. I know it works because God himself said so. And he is not a liar. He is not a man that he should lie or that he could lie or that he would lie. He is truth embodied. And when he says it, this changes everything. In other words, they looked to Jesus and they said, you know, there's something different about this man. He speaks different. He, no man ever spoke like this before. Why did they say? Remember why? Remember why? He speaks as one what? With authority. He speaks as, in other words, he knows what he's talking about. But not only does he know what he's talking about, he's the one that created all of this. Like if you find the guy that made the viol first violin, he's going to speak about violin manufacturing and even playing as one with authority. So a lot of people have a lot of different thoughts. Well, why this, why that, and everything. And if you go right now into the, the trades in America, uh, you find out that a lot of people that are in a trade, they really don't know much of the art of the trade. I don't mean like Donald Trump art of the deal, like we're less trade, less trade bikes. I mean like a master electrician or a master plasterer or a master, um, you know, mechanic or a master, um, what do you call that? Uh, people that work on your HVAC. They, they call them mechanicals and stuff like that, but I don't know what their job is called, whatever. But you find like if you talk to people, that like, that's it, I don't want to go down the rabbit trail. But a lot of those uh, things from the people that initially started those type of things when the Industrial Revolution came, uh, because of pride in the younger people and pride in the executives trying to make more money, they lay off all of the older experts, and the older experts saw what's coming, and so they said, if you're going to do this to me, I am not going to give you the cream of the crop, which is actually the art of how to do this. Sure, you can do it, put it together, but you get in certain situations, it won't work. So, so then things are lost. So you find out, the, I call them the master craftsmen. I love master craftsmen because they know their stuff. They don't just know what works. They know why it works. And so they can actually reproduce and they can vary from what the book says and make it work. Oh, you probably deal with a lot of that stuff in historic building restoration. And so you got modern people trying to do ignorant stuff. <clears throat> and so... <clears throat> you find out that he is the master craftsman. And so uh, whoever says to this mountain, in other words, anybody can do this. Anybody. 
whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. It'll happen. That's not what he said. He said, whoever says to it, you have to speak to your mountain. You have to speak to the mountain. You have to say something to the mountain. You can't just look at the mountain and think about the mountain and draw a picture of the mountain and study the mountain and do a geological excavation of the mountain so you can find out what the mountain is made of and you find out, oh, maybe there's gold under the mountain and you get distracted about the mountain. No, you speak to the mountain. Whoever says to the mountain, what do you say? Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. What does that mean? Well, you can have some thoughts in your head. Is this really going to work? I've had those thoughts before. i had those thoughts about the finances of the church, right? And then all of a sudden, my heart says, yes, it will. Like, not even a hesitation. Not even I'm looking for it. Like, yes, it will. And my head was like, are you sure? <laughs> my heart said, more than that. I am more than sure. Okay, that's like with the Lord. Does not doubt in his heart, but believes, like we said just a second ago. Doesn't hope, doesn't even just desire, doesn't wish for it, doesn't long for it. Like, the Lord knows I want this. He knows I've wanted this. He, and he's so compassionate and so merciful. I know that my, my crying for this is going to make the difference. No, it is not. It's your belief that those things that you say will come to pass. And the way to have solid ground for what you're saying coming to pass is that you know that you're saying what God has said and, more importantly, is saying right now. So those words that God has spoken are eternal. So they were spoken before time began and they were spoken before we came on the scene so that they could be delivered in our situation and disrupt the plan of the enemy because words are disruptors. They're actually vibrations. They actually cause movement. They cause things to change. And so those words are full of the energy of God or the dynamis of God. I got this book. I love this book. It's about, um, uh, it's about house building and stuff like that and the science behind it. And it starts out by uh, discussing that all energy is released and it produces heat when it's released. And when it's released, all energy is actually moving molecules. It causes vibrations. So the first time I read that and I thought, oh, that explains people uh, shaking in the Holy Ghost. That explains when people say, I feel a heat, like there's some like heat on me. That's the release of the energy of God felt in the natural realm. Well, all words, like actually everything is made of uh, uh, like a quirk and a quirk is made of sound waves and so sound waves delivered well these sound waves from God the words were spoken before we were even in the situation the words of truth and the words of life 
And those words of life that produce life, you know, I see, see it like you've got a cancer and that word is delivered and that cancer, you know, they try to do radiation and sometimes they use sound waves to try and break up a tumor. Well, these actually are the sound waves of God that will not only break up the tumor, but recreate the missing parts that the tumor has destroyed because they're the life of God. It's life. Like when God directs his life towards something, it has to grow. It has to live. I mean, the, it says that he breathed in Adam when Adam was a lifeless body. He had created the body of Adam. It says he breathed in him the breath of life. He literally, it means he inspired Adam's body. The same word for inspiration is to breathe the life of God into, to breathe into. It's God breathing into. So God breathed into the lifeless body of Adam. And it says, Adam became a living spirit. Woo! <laughs> I'm sorry, I like that. He became a living spirit. When God breathed in him, he began to live. So he had all of the components for a human. They were all there. Every part was created. I just, I don't know if he was laying down or standing up. I assume he was laying down. Because how could you stand up? But I mean, God's there, so who knows? Anyhow, so he is just like laying down there. And God says, and when God breathes upon, it's like the Holy Spirit hovered over the chaos in Genesis 1, verse 2. And when the Holy Spirit hovers over things, he brings life and order. Because it couldn't be any other way. So don't quench the Holy Spirit. Quench not the Spirit, Paul said. And the Thessalonians, don't quench the Spirit, right? Why? Well, because when He comes, uh, he, said, he said, quench, this is Thessalonians, I don't know if it's the first or second. He said, quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesying. Why? Well, so if you're despising prophecy or inspired utterance, you're going to quench the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, if you're quenching the Spirit of God, He comes. Many of you remember in Acts chapter 2. It's like the this is like Bible interpretation's law of first mention, first time in mention. Well, the Holy Spirit's mentioned before, but the first time in the New Covenant He's mentioned is when He came in like a rushing mighty wind. Right? I think that's the first time. It's in the beginning. Uh, rushing mighty wind. So the, the wind is actually a type of the Spirit. So all of a sudden, you... Um, quench not the Spirit, despise not inspired words from the Holy Spirit, those words come like a wind. Like when they come to you, they come, it's like a wind, it's like a, it's like a breeze coming inside you. I don't mean like I feel a breeze. Sometimes you do feel a breeze. Okay, there are sometimes a natural manifestation where you actually feel a physical breeze enter the room uh, as a manifestation, a tangible uh, manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Some things are signs uh, so that people will believe, wonders, um, things that go beyond our natural. But when He breathes His life into a situation, you don't want to quench Him. So He wants to breathe His life by giving you words that are inspired by Him, or really, they're inspired by God and the Lord Jesus Christ and flow through the Holy Spirit to us. This is why Jesus said, you know what, it, it, it is like the bomb that I'm going away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit's not going to come. And when He comes, 
He's going to deliver all this stuff from God, all this stuff from me to you. Because I, you know, I'm going to really paraphrase and take a lot of liberty right now. Because I have been trying to explain this stuff to you and you're trying to get with your head. You're stinking thinking and you can't get it. But the second that you become a new creature in my spirit, you become one with my spirit. Then you have the understanding. You have my mind, the mind of Christ. And now you can receive the things that I have just been telling you about. And they've been like a mystery to you and, and an anomaly. And so like these things that have been hidden from generation to generation that Abraham saw before. These things are going to be delivered to you by my spirit. So and so that you can't receive it with your head, you're going to have to receive it. Don't quench my spirit. Allow my spirit to have his way in you. You yield to him because he's going to give you more than what your mind will ever know. He's going to give you more things than what you are naturally conscious of. And I, have you had that happen? Like you have that happen? I have that happen. Well, let me explain how that happens. That you're kind of like somebody says uh, that maybe there's a prophecy or maybe like even tonight we're reading a scripture. You hear a scripture and all of a sudden something in your heart. I, Brother Hagin had so good. He said, my spirit's turning flips on the inside. Like you got, oh, oh you feel like you got to run or you got to shout or you got to dance or you're just like, oh, almost overwhelmed. But your head is like, what is going on? I do not get it. Don't quench the spirit. In other words, don't just let your head be the dominant force in your life because you'll miss out on the sugar coating and not just the sugar coating, the very essence of the life of God in the believer. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But if you walk by the flesh, you will surely die. Don't obey the dictates of your natural body. Yield yourself, yield your body. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of uh, wickedness, but offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. Romans 6, 13. Hallelujah. So you don't, so you don't, you don't take... You, you have been given such a gift of life, such a gift like that you can breathe and you can see and you can hear and you can, everyone in this room can get up and walk to the other room. I think everyone here could get up and run to the other room and you have all of this resource in your body that you have a physical body that the only body, physical body in the earth that Christ has right now is the believer, you and me. And other believers. He does have a physical flesh and blood body, but he's seated at the right hand of God. And so he works his will in the earth through us. Us, not every believer, but every believer that yields to him. He wants to work through every believer. He's living in, uh, let's see here, his life substance, his spirit is in every believer. But his spirit does not have access to show himself through healing people, through speaking to people, through loving people, through every believer. Only through the believers who will yield to him and he is love. So if we don't yield to love, we're not yielding to him. Oh, we think like, well, I just, it's just, I'm just... I'm not going to have a benefit now. Maybe sickness will try to come on me or something like that because I get out, of the, uh, out from under the protection of the umbrella of the love of God, which is the word of God. And so I'm, I'm out of that. So it's just going to affect me. Sin is so like that. 
People are like, this is just going to affect me. It's not going to affect anybody else. I can do what I want. You ever heard that? I heard that since I was four years old, as young as I can remember. People in the church, well, I'm just going to do this. It's just going to affect me. And you watch, it affects 50 people that you know of. You're like, your life is a testimony of Jesus Christ. And so, people should not live for Christ or turn away from Christ because of your testimony. But your testimony, in other words, what you're doing and how you're living affects them. They're still accountable to God. Right? What I was saying earlier, lit a fire in my tail. Because people, they just get offended at when we make the mistakes. And they'll use it as an excuse. But many times, especially if it's a leader uh, in the body of Christ, many times it cuts pretty deep. So I like to always direct people, you fall in love with Jesus. And it does not matter what a leader does. It doesn't, I mean, it does matter. It affects you. It affects those around you. But it does not change Jesus. If you want to see what Christianity is like, what the new believer life is like, you look at Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, not despising the shame. Or despising the shame, excuse me. Despising the shame. In other words, he held in low regard the shame. Most people would hold him very high regard. I don't want to be shamed like that. I don't want to die like that. I don't want to be embarrassed like that. He said, uh, despising the shame. Uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2, I think. Despising the shame. And so uh, we hold Jesus as the example of Christianity. Mahatma Gandhi said, I don't really want anything to do with the religion of these Christians. But if... God is anything like Jesus. He can have my soul any day. Does that make sense? In other words, sometimes Christians are the worst representative. We ought not be that way, but sometimes that happens. But so you direct people to Jesus. As people are going to want to say like, well, yeah, but this one did this and this one did this and this televangelist this and this and this and this. Say, Everybody has flesh. Everybody makes mistakes. That really doesn't matter concerning you and the Lord. If you want to see, I was telling somebody about this a couple months ago, maybe a month ago. I said, if you want to look and you want to know, you look at Jesus. So, oh boy. All right, we got to finish. So, if you want to know what's going on with someone, how they're doing with the Lord and they're a believer. If they're a believer and you hear them saying, the Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. Everybody at that church is just into themselves. Nobody cares. What does that mean? Well, the way Brother Higgins would say that is, he said, you know the devil's working on you when you feel mistreated. Well, you find when people are having that attitude, you may not know every side of the story. Certainly there are some churches that are just a bunch of religious people and they're very judgmental and all these type of things. But I have found most of the time when people are saying 
not all the time, but most of the time, people are saying, oh, they're all judgmental. They're just judging me. Uh, they're doing this. They're doing that. The devil is working on that person and he has deceived them and they are in deception and they, because they're under the cloud of deception, they feel like everyone else is wrong and their flesh is looking for a reason. Well, it's really the influence of an enemy spirit is trying to draw them away from the body of sheep so he can slaughter them. And they think, see, their offense, that they think is an offense. So they, you can point out things people are doing wrong. It's not really difficult if you look very long. But that doesn't make one bit of difference about you living for the Lord. You are, each one is accountable individually to serving the Lord. Now we're accountable. I'm accountable for the influence I have on people. More accountable because I'm teaching the Word. But even aside from that, uh, I'm accountable to the influence I have on people. Am I drawing them to the Lord or away from the Lord? doesn't mean it has to be perfect. But you know, if I'm knowingly doing things that are wrong, uh, you need to judge yourself that you don't be judged. Right? So, the Lord is, is patient. But I'd much rather judge myself and change. Uh, you know, Paul said... Turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of judgment. And Paul said, you know, I've judged the situation. So I'd rather, I judge it in myself and I turn to the Lord and then I, I don't, I don't, I'm not open to the working of the enemy. Right? So, uh, praise the Lord. We, we didn't even get very far, did we? Let me see if I finish. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Oh yeah, then we got to verse 23, which was, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes. Believe. You have to believe. You believe with your heart. You believe with your heart what God has said in His Word. So your belief actually springs forth or flows forth from what God has spoken and what God has said. And so you find that out by reading the Word or listening to the Word. And when you read the Word and listen to the Word and that comes alive to you, you're like, whoa, okay. And so then Jesus said, have faith in God, lay hold on that, grab hold of this, and then speak. Right? So you grab hold of this and then speak. Because why? Well, you can have confidence in your words when your words are God's words. Whoever said to this mountain doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says. Believe those things that you say. You can believe that when it comes from God. It's what God said shall come to pass. Then he'll have whatever he says. Therefore, based on all of that, I, what things soever you desire. Okay? It's not what things soever you desire. What things soever you desire. It's therefore what things soever you desire. Do you know what that means? You get that in school yet? Therefore? Why is it there? If there's a therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. Right? <laughs> So what is a therefore, therefore? Well, the therefore is therefore, right? So you're saying, like, say to this mountain, right? And so he's saying, based on everything I just told you, therefore, you can almost use it like a scientific conclusion. So like if this and this, if I take some water and I put it in a Petri dish and I put a Bunsen burner underneath of it and I light it up and I start to burn it, 
and all of a sudden all that water evaporates, but there's a bunch of white crystals left over. Therefore, there was something in the water that I couldn't see, and it was the minerals, right? Therefore. Does that make sense? So, therefore. So he said, therefore, based on all of that, whatever you desire. That's why it's not just whatever you desire. Based on what? Based on believing the things that you say come to pass, and you can't believe what you say will come to pass if what you're saying is not having faith in God, and having faith in God is turning just to the Lord away from everything else. Therefore, what things soever you desire, or you could almost say, or then what things soever you desire, but therefore is a better translation because of other things. Uh, when you pray, believe, let's again believe, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. So when you pray, you believe that you receive. What is that? <laughs> when I pray, if I know God hears me, Peter said, then I know I have the confidence that it's mine. Right? So therefore, what, th what things soever, I'm trying not to speak in tongues, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe. How can you believe when you pray? Therefore, what things soever you desire. Things that you desire are things that God has said that you believe. Therefore, what things soever, whatever it is, you desire, based on this predicate, what things soever you desire, when you pray, or when you uh, draw near to God and speak to God, or you make a declaration, believe that you receive them, and you'll have them. How do you believe that you receive them? you know that if you come with his words, we have this confidence that he hears us, right? So it's all based upon this, the, the, the everlasting, never-ending, pure strength of the word of God that, like I said on Sunday, that there is an end to the perfection of all things, but there is no end to the perfection of your word. So in other words, Mark 11, 22, 23, 24, is all based on the word that you say like, who, this is what God said. And if I'm saying what I got, what God said, and if I have whatever I say, therefore now my desires are the same as God's desires. And so when I pray, all I have to do is believe that I receive. And the way that I believe I receive is the way that it's those things that I believe. I say the things come to pass. It's the same thing. It's in the realm of prayer. And now I believe it because God said it. And because I, but how do I believe it that it's because God said it? Well, that's where faith comes in and faith comes in, have faith in God. Jesus said, have faith in God. That means you have to know something about God, that he is a father that is love. God is love. And when you know that he is a father that is love, you can grab hold tight. Why? Because he is long tempered. He is kind. He is not arrogant. He is not envious. He's not trying to give you something so he can rip it away and make you look foolish. 
He is giving up, self-sacrificing. He sacrificed his own son so that we could have the life of his son. Whoo! Praise the Lord, right? So, you, in other words, faith, I need to do, do this series, but faith has to do with the authority of God and the character of God. In other words, how much authority does God have in the universe how, and beyond it? How much authority and what, and what is the character of God? Well, we know the character of God is the love character. So whatever love would do, God is. And so the authority and the character of God produces understanding that and knowing that, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing Him in that way actually produces a deep-rooted faith. Why? Because I could say, God said you were healed. By, G by what happened to Jesus on the cross. But if I went and said that to someone out there who didn't know who Jesus was or what Jesus had done, it wouldn't do anything in their life. And if I went and said that to someone who was in the position that I was without the revelation of the Spirit of God making it clear, even as a believer, before I knew by revelation the, the healing uh, as part of redemption, it wouldn't make any difference in my life. It might make a question, and as a believer, there might be something, many times what happens to me in those situations, even now, if it's new, the Spirit of God will tug at my heart, like, look into that. Chew on that. Pray about that. Study that. Why? What's he trying to do? He's trying to get the entrance of his words into my heart that bring life and understanding and light. As soon as the light comes, the darkness flees. So the second, the entrance of your words gives light. So his, he wants his words to gain entrance into my heart. And the second that, that his words gain entrance into your heart, now they can be watered and fed and grow and you have stable ground. In other words, if the word gains entrance, your mind, you know, it goes through your mind and your mind becomes transformed and now the lie no longer has a place. And when the lie is dispelled and no longer has a place, now your thinking changes, your words change, and you begin to experience all the promises of God. Like they show up. If it's the promise of provision, you see money in the account. Or you see the bills being paid off. It doesn't mean a spectacular thing. It can be, but it doesn't mean if you're $50,000 in debt, someone just wrote you a check for $50,000. Thank God for those situations when that happens. But it actually means before you were buried and getting along and sometimes going backwards a little bit, and now you're actually making forward progress. Sometimes there are uh, natural uh, responses and reactions to mistakes that we have made, particularly talking financial, and it takes some time to get out. And I think sometimes the reason for that is the protection of the Lord.
Because sometimes when you get in quick and you get out quick, you're not afraid to get back in. When your flesh says, now, now, now. Uh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, oh, I never got to verse 25. I'm trying to get to 25. Uh, what things soever you desire when you pray, when you pray, believe you receive them and you'll have them. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any or any little thing against anyone. In other words, unforgiveness or not walking in love, even, even though you believe this is what God said. If you could believe this is what God said and still walk in unforgiveness, then you won't have it. It'll hinder your faith. But faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the rhema of God. It's hearing what God's saying. And, um, you know, I don't want to say this definitively, but I will just say many times for me, I, I, I endeavor to keep a tender conscience to the Spirit of the Lord. So if the Lord is drawing my attention to something, then I'm going to stand in faith on it but I have a little something against somebody that seems to always be there for me. So I can't fully embrace what God has said until I give this up unless I'm just kind of like going through the motions and faking it till you make it. Or I know this is what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to do this. But even while I'm doing that, saying, speaking to the mountain, this little thing, like, just right there. Brother Hagin, many times, he would lay hands on people. He'd lay hands on them. As soon as he'd lay hands on them, then he said, I would know what was going on. He said to one lady, he said, what is this? What is this about your brother? What is this I, I, I see about something, I think something, a letter in the mail. And she's like, well, I haven't talked to my brother for 25 years. Mom died and there was... Uh, money and estate to divvy up and there was some disagreement and we haven't talked for 25 years. And Brother Hagin said, and she said, I'm going to get it right. I'll do it. He said, well, praise the Lord then. He laid hands on her. She was instantly healed. But for years she was trying to get healed and she could not get healed because she had this against her brother. And the second that she got it right before she even had a chance to talk to him, the Lord knew the heart. He looks at the heart. Well, then she was in a position to receive. Healing belonged to her the whole time. But she was not in a position to receive it because she had ought against. Why? So she couldn't, she couldn't full confidently act in faith. Right? And so the scripture I was going to go to, but we don't have time to dwell on it, was, uh, it fits in perfect right here. So we'll just make it be the ending scripture, which is uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands... Dwell with them, speaking of your wife, according to knowledge, giving honor as to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So if you're not honoring your wife as the weaker vessel, your prayers will be hindered. So whenever I um, get upset at my wife, then I want to pray, but you really don't have sweet fellowship with the Lord, you know, because... Something is like, you know you can't do that. It's scriptural here. 
So the word has been written and the word has been spoken, so it is that way. So my prayers are hindered if I'm not going to walk in love with my wife, if I'm not going to honor my wife. So I have to go honor my wife and make it right with her before I can actually prepare a message or I can even fellowship with the Lord. I've tried to fellowship with the Lord without doing it. It's just like, it's like, for me, it's like the Lord and I are in the same room and he's looking over my shoulder, like beyond, you know, like he's there, but he's like, a, you know, and he's looking over at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 and saying like, what do you think about this? I said, I don't want to talk about that right now. I want to talk about signs, wonders, and miracles. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, rendering, not rendering evil for evil, verse 9, or railing for railing, that's what your flesh wants to do, but contrary-wise. In other words, exactly opposite of what you feel like doing, blessing, knowing that you thereunto are called that you should inherit a blessing. Is that amazing? In other words, if you, it seems to me to say if you're going to render evil for evil and railing for railing, don't expect to be inheriting a blessing. But if you're going to be contrary to that, that's why people of faith are people of inward strength. Because you're not just letting your flesh do whatever it wants to do. Verse 10, For he that would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Listen to this part. And he, still same subject here. And his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the life that is in your word. We receive your word with gladness in our hearts. Father, we ask for a greater understanding of even the things that uh, were spoken tonight. Father, that we incorporate them into every part of our life. We thank you for giving us everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that just by knowing him intimately, we have everything that we need. Father, that you'll help us to be more and more acquainted with him, with your word, like Paul prayed. Oh, that the mighty inheritance that you have given us in him would be uh, living in us, that we would see it, know it, experience it, share it, live in it. Oh, Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.